think at the end of the day, you need smart people sitting around the table making a decision. You're never going to have an algorithm that spits out the right answer for where to place your bets and and yeah. uh, which projects to invest in. At the end of the day, you still need a conversation. But these kinds of leading indicators help make that a more informed discussion. And, and it's always a relative uh, decision. You're making a decision relative to what else we can put our money into. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Glad you could join us again. Earlier this year, we had a guest, Noel Sobelman. That was, it's been one of our listeners' favorite episodes. And, you know, Noel's really out there where the action is. And uh, he just published a new paper on portfolio management. If you recall, he's a principal innovation practice lead at ChangeLogic. And just working with so many customers in this space, he sees things and he, he learns things and he, he develops approaches and methodologies and teaches customers about those. And so this paper was really intriguing to me and he's graciously agreed to visit with us again. Noel, glad to have you back. Hey, Paul, thanks for that intro and uh, happy to be back for a second time. Yeah. The last time we spoke, you were at your first engagement back live with a customer again. And, you know, you were excited. I was excited. We're all excited to start seeing people. I'm curious if it's holding up or if it's slowing back down again. It really is client dependent. Some are okay in person, but more often than not, you know, with this, with the uh, the variant, uh, people are being a little cautious. So more more time back home in San Diego, which is okay. I, I can't complain. Yeah, not in San Diego, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm supposed to speak at a conference in Copenhagen in November, and I'm still. Is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? You know, nobody's saying anything yet. I I hope it does happen, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll cross our fingers. I, I yeah. definitely miss traveling, miss being in front of a real whiteboard. Nothing like the face-to-face. -face, so Yeah, yeah good. Well, uh, Noel, you wrote uh, about approaches that uh, companies use to make uh, portfolio investment decisions. It was part of a paper you wrote entitled Evidence-Based Innovation Portfolio Management. I I had to I had to laugh because right up at the front, one of the approaches was the highest paid person's opinion. That is so true. <laughs> that can happen, right? Yeah, the, the hippo, right? Yeah, hippo, yeah. And um, you kind of propose an approach to kind of get around some of these uh, other approaches, which are less sophisticated or overly burdensome. And why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, the idea about using evidence in portfolio decision-making really comes from the, the fact that innovation is really a, a continuum from your core business where you're working in fairly known markets with known technologies, known products. But as you move away from the core along this continuum of uncertainty, the traditional metrics like financial projections or scoring models, uh, you know, checklists, the, the highest paid person's opinion, those become less and less relevant because you're going into new territory. Uh, by definition, the solution is and the, the way the customer is going to respond to the solution you're developing is completely unknown. So 
that's where you have to turn to other methods. And I, you know, this evidence-based approach and supplement your financial projections, which, which are really guesswork when you're further away from the core. You want to supplement that with what the customers do from experiments and, and gaining evidence from running experiments. And we can talk more about what that means, but I found that you really need to supplement that all along that continuum, wherever there's uncertainty, to raise your confidence in the numbers. So it's not just about the numbers. You have to also back that up with uh, what customers do, not just what they say, but what they do in the form of behaviors. Um, and you get you get tap into those behaviors by running these agile experiments. I got you. So, yeah, I mean, it was always one school of thought was, you're dealing with such imperfect information. So get people to make portfolio and gate decisions who have experience, uh, I guess, working from the gut. And that definitely is fraught with risk, right? I mean, just people don't know. So what you're, what you're proposing or what, what you're finding there is a better way to supplement that. I think there's still probably some experience, some level of experience. Hey, what do I think about this is still there, but having some facts, and I, I like the word evidence. Yeah, facts in the form of you know what, what the customers think. I mean, we, we've been we've been running proof of concepts if, even in the core, in the planning phases. Most companies recognize the need to validate business case assumptions by going out and running lab tests or doing some technical feasibility work or proof of concept work. But the difference I'm talking about here is actually going and talking to customers and getting evidence in the form of behavior change or how do they act when you put a product in front of them and you run an, a test or an experiment. And that that helps to, to validate those assumptions. Those assumptions become more uncertain, um, more unknown, and they're, they have a potentially higher impact like I say, when you get further away from the core and you're, you're dealing in these uncertainties. So the, the need to do that and the need to emphasize that evidence when you're making portfolio decisions early on uh, increases dramatically. You just can't rely on those hockey, hockey stick projections that, you know, with the false precision when you're, when you're further away from the core. Yeah. I recall a customer shared with us, fairly large company shared with us their their annual operating plan and every year they had growth projected and every year they missed it. And, you know, at the core of that problem is, uh, is oftentimes not having enough grasp on, on what the market potential was. And yeah, we were all taught, go out and talk to your customers and ask them what they think. And I think what you're saying is asking is the wrong, it's not the right approach. It's, it's different than asking, right? Yeah, customers tend to tell you what you want to hear. They, they 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 aim to please. So I I revert to the phrase: it's what they do that's important, not necessarily what they say. So they're very good at articulating, or you can observe the problems they're having. But when you get to the solution, you know you need you need to to run these iterative tests over and over again to learn. So your even your metrics change from ROI to more of a, a learning metric. Mm -hmm. so what is the, what is the the velocity velocity of learning in these early stages? But to, to your to your other point, I, I love that Scott Cook quote. Um, I used it in the paper. He says he says for every one of our failures, we had a spreadsheet that looked awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and that that to me really sums up what we're talking about. The you know the spreadsheet is good. You know, again, when you're dealing with more closer in certainty, more certainty, 
there's a technique, I think Rita McGrath came up with it called the reverse income statement. So early on on a project, you might want to set up what has to be true in order for this business model, this business case to work. And you back into those assumptions, whether they be cost, profit margin, what you're paying your sales team, uh, you know, your, your, your distribution metrics, what has to be true in order for this model to even be vi- viable at all. And then you, you focus in on those assumptions and then you go out and prioritize those assumptions and start testing with customers uh, early on. That, that's an approach that really helps to raise the confidence for the decision makers that have to make those tough trade-off decisions at a portfolio review, at a, at a gate meeting, or when they're figuring out how to allocate investments across the portfolio. Yeah. I, if I was a innovation leader bringing an investment uh, request to a board, I would think that if I had if I could demonstrate evidence, what you're saying, if I could, if I could somehow say, look, this is the real evidence, I've got a much stronger case, or I'm certainly going to be more confident. And if I'm going up to the board and my peers are going up to the board and we're all, we're all trying to seek the same investment, the one that has more evidence is just, there's just more validity to it. You can't argue with the evidence. But as you said, I know in our company, when we go out and we ask the, the customers we talk about the problems, we do the discovery, we find the jobs to be done, et cetera. And then when it comes down to the solution, well, what if, and if we could describe something and they say, oh yeah, that would work, but that's not enough, right? It's, 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 it's just hearing it and describing it is, is you need more than that, don't you? Yeah. And you know, Steve Blank says, you, you got to get out of the building and talk to customers. And even in the problem, st- I break it down in the, the problem stage, really understanding the problem deeply. And I, I love the jobs to be done methodology for for that and understanding what, where's the gap, where's the underserved need. And then there's the solution stage. So, and then understanding who your customer is and you're constantly learning. So when you get to that decision-making meeting with leadership, leadership has to change their behaviors when you're, when you're using these methodologies. And instead of asking when will we see an ROI? Maybe the question becomes, what did you learn from the customer about the viability of the solution? Mm-hmm. So that the, even the, the questions that leaders are asking in these early stages when there's high uncertainty needs to change. And that's difficult because most of the leaders got to where they are by asking that ROI question early. So changing that mindset when you're further away from the core for sure, it's a tough thing for leaders who have, who have grown up in the traditional uh, looking for the ROI early on and making, making the, the decisions on where to invest based on a business case that, let's face it, is often a guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, are there some examples that uh, you could share? Yeah, so maybe some examples of what, what we mean when we talk about evidence. So, yeah. And, and I think that the evidence changes based on where you are in the development cycle. So when you're in that problem or unmet need space, it's about, it often starts with some secondary research to qualify the magnitude of the problem or the unmet need. There's customer interview techniques that are used, online discussion forums, user groups, social media mentions, and, and Salesforce testimonials that can validate the, the frequency, the significance, or the prevalence of the problem, the percentage of time. And it, it, there's value stream mapping up approaches you can use to figure out the percentage of time that it's taking to perform a certain task in a, in a workflow mm-hmm. environment, mm-hmm. for example, for a, a med device company. 
But then when you move to the uh, to the solution or validating your business model, the evidence you look for might be uh, you might come up with a a mock promotional flyer because the product isn't developed yet. You want right. to avoid the hesitation to start building. You want to first validate some of these early assumptions. So you might put out a just a mocked up promotional flyer and you know put on there you know find out more number and see how many people call back. Or another example might be. Uh, the number of clicks on a on a on an explanatory video explaining the solution. Dropbox is famous for that. They put out this this video for their cloud storage solution in the early days, and it got tremendous attention. So that was more evidence of, of the value. Uh, one one of the examples I like to to highlight is it's a simple example, but it, it really drives home the point. So there was this company that was working on a, a new way for surgeons to sanitize their hands before going into perform surgery. So instead of developing the product or spending a lot of money and time and resources developing even a, an MVP, they just created a cardboard cutout and they asked the sur- surgeons to put their, the way the device worked, it used, it used some kind of ultraviolet light to, to sanitize the hands. So they asked the surgeons to put their hands in this box for a, uh, for 30 seconds before going into the next step of the of the of the workflow because they wanted to see the big assumption was that that surgeons would take 30 seconds out of the day to prepare as opposed to washing their hands the way they normally do would they even consider this new approach so all it took was creating this cardboard cutout and they put their hands in there to to test the percentage that would actually use this new approach so it's just an example of a way you can very quickly, without a lot of money uh, and without jumping too far into the solution, to test the viability or or whether it would even pass the you know the the, the reasonableness test for the customer that you're targeting. Yeah, what I like about what you're talking about is you're talking about metrics, numbers, metrics. You know, the, the, a lot of people are doing studies during the market studies, market validation studies, whether it be 3D, a mock-up 3D print of something and go out and see what people think about it. And it, they tend to focus on filling out a lean, some kind of lean canvas, you know, to describe what the reactions they've seen. But you've taken it further. You've, you've, got, you've got numbers behind it. So those kind, of, those kind of tests and actually collecting the numbers, right? That, that's, that's the evidence side of it. It takes out the personal interpretation of what somebody is saying. Even if you watch somebody doing it, you're making an observation, but if you're recording it, if you've got metrics behind it, then then it takes the human bias right out, doesn't it? Yeah, you're, you're, you're taking out that subjectivity and you're replacing with, with what we call leading indicators. So mm-hmm. these are, uh, again, depending on where you are in problem or solution validation, um, you have metrics like you know, the, the number of active users or, or month over month user growth or conversion rate, you're, you're putting a number on it. So, you know, like I said, it starts with a, uh, a hypothesis. If we do an, an experiment, so if, if we do X, X being an experiment, if we run this experiment, then some target metric, Y percent of the customers will behave in way Z. So uh, if we do, if we run this experiment, We'll hit some target threshold, and the customers will behave will behave in the following way. And that the way they behave is what I mean by do versus say. Yeah, they're, they're actually performing an action. Uh, they're exhibiting a behavior as opposed to just telling you in a focus group or a survey that yeah, I'd buy that. Right, I, I'd buy yeah. that for you know for two hundred dollars. You're actually um, providing some value exchange. Yeah, in the form of 
It can be money, but it can be a letter of intent. It can be just clicking a button. It can be filling out a, a long, arduous form that shows they're willing to spend the time because there's some interest. So there's a, a methodology for running these experiments to gather something that's quantifiable that you can uh, that we're calling evidence that you can bring yeah. back to the decision makers. In your experience, Noel, I mean, how, how prevalent is that out there? Is this a, a new concept or is it, you know, a lot of companies doing it or are a lot of companies saying, oh, I like the idea, but how do I get started? Where's the, the if you think about the maturity curve on it, where, where are we at? Yeah, I, I think we're still in the early days. I think any yeah. company that has adopted these, the lean innovation principles, um, it th what I'm talking about has been built into anybody that studied lean startup methodologies are already doing this, especially when they're looking to cre create transformative new, new growth, new category products. Mm -hmm. The tools and the techniques and, and these, these metrics that we're talking about are becoming more and more prevalent, especially in accelerators and labs that are creating new sources of growth. But the point I want to emphasize is that there's uncertainty all across that, that spectrum or the different growth horizons. And even in the core, uh, I think companies for a long time have been, been running experiments in the early stages to, to validate some of those business model assumptions. The big difference here, again, is that we're going out and actually getting evidence, right? something you can put a number on as opposed to some, something anecdotal, like a voice of the customer often is, can be anecdotal. We're actually testing and, and getting some leading indicators. And then we uh, make a decision whether to continue to progress and, and learn more before we invest more money. Yeah. I think if you go after it, the word evidence tattooed on your forehead, written on every piece of paper, tape it on top of your computer screen, because it's easy to drift off. And forget, and now all of a sudden you're you're back into non-evidence-based methods. And so, if you keep that kind of on the forefront, um, I think it's you you can get there, right? It's you just got to remember, hey, evidence. Where's the evidence? What is the evidence we want? Yeah, and it definitely outside in. It's got it's got to be what customers are doing, and and it 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 is new for many many organizations. So when it comes to implementing this, I, I always suggest take a crawl, walk, run approach. You okay. might want to you know most companies have financial metrics that they zero in on. They have scoring models, they have checklists, they have all kinds of different ways of informing the conversation about project prioritization and investment allocation. All I'm saying here is that let's let's also supplement that at least in in the early stages with with more of these leading indicators where the focus is on learning and validating those early assumptions, and then over time you can get more sophisticated. There's there's lots of advanced techniques out there that try to put a a number on that uncertainty. Options modeling, Monte Carlo methods. A lot of these methods have been at least forms of them have been prevalent in the pharmaceutical industry where you're making billion dollar bets on on projects that take 10 years to get to market you can't have you know so there, there's there's all kinds of sophisticated ways to to try to put a number on the value of, mm -hmm. of a project or a product relative to something else you can invest in so the methods e exist in certain industries but um it, it is it is more it is new to to others and and uh definitely um we're seeing some good indications that it, it's 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 raising the confidence level for those decision makers. Yeah, absolutely. I think it it, it feels it feels easier. Uh, some of those other methods, uh, Monte Carlo as an example, need a lot of data, a lot of sophistication, a lot of knowledge in how to do it. it this uh, evidence approach is something that I think uh, 
average people could grasp. It's something I think, uh, like you said, if you start small, start slow, don't try to run right away. I think it's some good advice. I, I'm going to quote something in the last page of, of your paper. So next time you're in the company boardroom observing an innovation portfolio review, pay close attention to how innovation investment decisions are made. I think that's, uh, yeah, keep your eyes open, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think we've all experienced the ivory tower or the making decisions based on the gut. And and don't get me wrong, there's, there's a lot of experience in that room. Yeah. But bringing in these leading indicators, bringing in the financials and even some of the quantitative aspects along with the qualitative just as a great starting point for a conversation. I think at the end of the day, you need smart people sitting around the table making a decision. You're never going to have an algorithm that spits out the right answer for where to place your bets and and, uh, which projects to invest in. At the end of the day, you still need a conversation. But these kinds of leading indicators help make that a more informed discussion. And and it's always a relative uh, decision. You're making a decision relative to what else we can put our money into because we are working with scarce resources these days. The other thing I'll point out, Paul, is, you know, with the pandemic and the, the environment we've been in for the last year and a half, that uncertainty that I talked about has been pulled forward. There's more uncertainty in our core business than there ever I can ever remember. So yeah. today, more than ever, we need more confidence in those decisions because of that uncertainty that's pulled forward. And we have to revisit our portfolios. It can't, you know, an annual review of your portfolio doesn't cut it anymore. Even quarterly, you might you, you might want to check in a more dynamic approach, yeah. and, and and there's there are PPM tools that support that and allow you to have more real time decision making as conditions change externally in the marketplace and con- consumer behaviors change, uh, and internally as as projects run into problems or are delayed, you have to revisit those revisit the business case more frequently than once a year for sure. And often you have to revisit them real time and yeah. be more dynamic uh, these days, given the pace of change. So there's lots of tools and techniques like we've been talking about that are are there to help. I think they're definitely needed now more than ever. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's certainly uh, uh, Sofian's direction is to get to almost a continuous planning model. We see it happening as well. I think what I would do is I was going to, if I was going to take your advice and want to get into this, I, I would think about the personalities and the culture, the way the company makes its decisions. And if if the loudest person in the room or the highest paid person is still part of the culture, because it is, it may, it may well be. And I come in and I come with all this data that maybe contradicts what a person's thinking. That's not going to be the greatest. So if the culture is that way, I think I'd try to beforehand present this evidence, talk to the right people, kind of get them on board uh, so that they can internalize it before the meeting, right? So they can, and maybe it comes from them, right? And now you're you're still supporting that cultural, that that approach with the people in the room, the personalities, and you they become your fans as opposed to just don't blast them in the room with something that's maybe contradictory to what they're thinking internally. They're just gonna, that would be, could be problematic. Are you saying there's a human side to this, Paul? <laughs> yeah, ab- ab- yeah, absolutely. This We are talking about behavior change yeah. here and different ways of making decisions. One of the things that I try to do with clients is actually get the leaders, those decision makers, out running experiments themselves. Get hey. them out of the building and Great actually idea. have them go through an experiment loop where they're actually coming up with their, their assumptions for this new idea 
they're prioritizing those assumptions, they're designing a test and they're going out and running an experiment so they can really appreciate the, the value of, of this approach. You know, Scott Cook, who I referenced earlier at Intuit, he, he would he would go on Follow Me Homes with his yeah. uh, teams to to look at the accounting software that they were developing. So um, I think I think that applies. I think to really appreciate this, you do have to understand the the method, but also start thinking about a, a different mindset. You're definitely asking different questions. I put a, as much time into coaching the executives as I do the project teams when it comes to rolling this stuff out, mm-hmm. if not more, because of that point you bring up, that uh, it does require them to understand. And, and there's there's certain questions you ask. It's more about, you're less of a manager in these, in these meetings and more of a mentor. You're asking yeah. questions like, what did you learn since we last got together about the customer versus where's that ROI? Yeah, good, good. Great advice, great, great. I love the idea of getting, getting them out there. That's super. <laughs> Well, uh, Noel, sure appreciate that. What else are you working on? I know you're, you've got a lot of other things that are in the hopper. I'm lucky. I've, I love my job because I get to work in a lot of different industries, everything from packaged food to semiconductors, doing some work for a large accounting firm even. So that keeps keeps life interesting for me. Just uh, I think a lot of what we, you and I talk about, Paul, can be applied in, in different industries for sure. Uh, some highly regulated where you have to do some things uh, a little differently, but the base principles of these agile techniques still uh, apply across industries and hardware and software. That's something we didn't talk about. Right. And most people hear about this, these experimentation approaches. Um, they think, oh, it's easy to, to iterate in software, but what about hardware? Right. I've got plenty of examples in the paper you cited about hardware companies and especially in hardware because you really have to have confidence before you start spending your money in the development phase and you start locking in on system architecture decisions or hard tooling or production equipment you really have to have that confidence level because your spending profile goes way up when you get past the planning stages so it's yeah more important in hardware i can make that argument I, I I can too, right? Because the cost of failure is 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 much greater, and I it doesn't get much cheaper than a cardboard box to stick your hands in, does it? <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> we all look for those. Yeah, no, I think this this whole approach between hardware and software. There's 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 a lot. Maybe we should have another session on that. But the the whole um, different approach in thinking how best to do it. This the the software guys have an opinion. The hardware guys have their own opinion. There's a f- lot of friction there. And I think there's our job is to break down those barriers, isn't it? Just to, to help organizations be better at working cohesively and figuring out how do we bring these disparate engineering teams together. Yeah. In- in- Innovation is definitely cross-functional, which is another reason I love what I do. You- you're-, you're touching all parts of the business. And yeah, you, you, have-, you have to be thinking about jointly. Breaking down those silos. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can tell you don't like what you're doing. <laughs> no passion. <laughs> <laughs> well, Noel, I appreciate you joining us. As always, it, it's great. And, you know, let, let's get together again. It's it's just fun to talk to you. And I know our, our listeners uh, really enjoy it as well. So um, if you're up for it, we'll, we'll, we'll find another we'll, slot we'll for in the number future. Three. I, there I, we go. Absolutely, Paul. I, I enjoy these and hopefully our, our listeners get a little, little some nuggets out of these as well. So yeah. I really appreciate your, you inviting me back. 
And of course, you're out there. They can find you. Uh, we said it the last time, but tell us again what the best way to kind of keep tabs on you. I know you're active, very active in LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn's good. Just shoot me a, a direct message through InMail or or reach out. Love to get connected through LinkedIn. That's that's a great way. I would start there and Google me. You'll you'll see my. Uh, uh, all, all the ways to get in touch. So <laughs> that's great. Well, Noel, I wish you the best for the for the rest of the summer and uh, enjoy the weekend because it's coming up for us. But then uh, enjoy all the next customers that you're going to work with, the next engagements because I know you you have a lot of fun with them. I wish you the best. Thank you, Paul. Likewise, you, you as well. Thanks for having me back. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We enjoyed your presence this time around. You can always drop us a line at talks at sofian.com. If you've got questions or you want us to try to uh, research certain areas or bring on certain types of guests, always happy to try to do that. And I wish you all a great week ahead, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.